Welcome to Bear Creek AG's online service podcast. We're so glad that you tuned in with us today. We upload a new service every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. So we look forward to having you tune in with us again. Here's today's message. Amen. Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you would, this morning to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 this morning. We've been talking about altars. I'm not going to go back and rehash all that I've covered. I think some of it will be in this message. I've already shared some at the beginning, but it's all about altars. Amen. God still moves in the altar. God still expects us to build an altar. It's in the altar that God communes with us. It's in the altar that we encounter God. The altar is not a piece of furniture. An altar is a state of mind, if I may put it there. It's a place within your spirit, man. It's a place that you dedicate and you set aside for such a time to encounter the living God. I didn't know I was going to start off preaching, but I just feel like I, maybe I need to repeat some of that. Altars are still relevant today in the walk of a Christian, and we need altars. So we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about fire falls on the altar. Amen? Fire falls. Fire is important when it comes to the altar. But I want to start off by telling you about a story about a man by the name of Gerald. Yeah, Gerald. No, I'm changing the names to protect the not-so-innocent here this morning. Gerald was up in an airplane ready to jump out. He was skydiving, and he had prepared. He'd done all that he could, the training, all that he had done. He'd gone through all the safety measures. He had his, his, his parachute on tight, and he was ready to go. When the time came, the light went green. It was time to jump. Gerald, out of faith, with having that, that, that parachute on, knowing that that parachute over, he jumped out of the plane ready to skydive. The thing, he, bucket list item of his life. And he's just soaring. Suddenly, he panicked. He said, wait a minute. I, I need to hit my parachute. I need to pull my parachute. And he, and he couldn't find it. He, he panicked and did, could not find the ripcord to cause the parachute to come open. And he was free-falling to the earth. And suddenly, he looked. And as, far, as fast as he was going down, there's another person accelerating, going up past him. It just blew his mind. But he didn't want to miss the opportunity. He said, hey, buddy, do you know how to open a parachute? And the guy's name, we'll just call his name Glenn. On his way up, said, no, but do you know how to light a gas grill? <laughs> All right. Maybe that's not as funny. I built it up a little bit more than it should have been. So. But this morning, I want to talk to you about fire. You know, we don't think much about fire nowadays in the sense that it's not like the old days. Unless you have a fireplace or a, a grill or a fire pit, we don't see fire much or for, forest fire Maybe, but we really don't think about fire and the importance of fire today. But fire is still an important part of our everyday lives. I mean, just think about the fact that this building is being lit with these fluorescent, some LED lighting driven by the electricity that comes from a power plant somewhere. That power plant most likely is burning coal. There's a fire. There's something there that's igniting. There's energy there that's causing 
the turbines to turn or whether it's a nuclear plant there's still some kind of combustion some kind of fire some kind of energy and power that's being generated if you're one of those people who have solar your your house or whatever is being driven being lit by a ball of gas that's burning in the sky that that causes those those panels to power up to cause your lights to come on if that doesn't get your attention we all have vehicles and all of us, except for one person in here, has a combustible engine in our vehicle. One person in here has an electric car, but hey, thank God he has those power plants that still charge his batteries. But what drives your combustion engine is the fact that there's fuel that goes in a cylinder, and there's a spark from a plug that causes an explosion. That's, we call that our plugs, right? That's what causes the explosion. It causes that cylinder to go back, and it causes it, which in turn generates the power that accelerates your car. But fire is very important. It's needed in our everyday lives. And you may not know this, but the Bible has quite a bit about fire in it, especially the fire of God. We, for even the, the, the novice that reads the Word every once in a while, you know the story of Moses' encounter with God with what? A burning bush the burning bush it was the fire of God that represented God in his communication with Moses we also know that when the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea they came to the mountain and God descended upon the mountain with what with fire so much for there's fire and smoke that the people wouldn't even go up to meet with God no Moses you go represent us if you know the story of them wandering in the wilderness it was a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day, but there was fire that was represented by the presence of God. And I've already spoken on this two weeks ago. We know that one of the most prevalent places that we see the fire of God in the Old Testament is on the altar. When Moses was told to construct the tabernacle and to build the altar, it was God when the sacrifice was made, everything was done according to His plans. Understand, it's God's plans, not your plans, that the fire of God came down and lit and it's consumed the sacrifice on the altar. And then again, when Solomon built his temple, I'm just making my case here this morning in case you don't believe me that fire is important. In the temple, God told Solomon how to construct the temple. It was a model of the tabernacle, which is a model of heaven, by the way. You look in the Word of God, it's a model of what heaven looks like, the throne room of God. There's altars in the throne room of God. You can go to Revelation and look at how the, the prayers of the saints, that those that have been martyred, are kept in a bowl, and they will be kept at the altar. See, but Solomon built it. When he built it according to God's plans and did the sacrifice, fire came down and lit the altar and consumed the sacrifice. Today, we're going to look at another altar. I hope I have your attention. There's an anointing in here this morning. I hope your ears are attuned to what the Spirit is saying to you today because in 1 Kings 18, we're going to look at another altar and the importance of the fire of God that fell upon that altar. Now, within here, just a quick history lesson. The king over Israel at this time is Judah. He has a queen by the name of Jezebel. Yes, there's actually a Jezebel. You may call that other woman or this woman here in, in your life somewhere that gossips and, and looks at all that you may. This is where Jezebel, the name Jezebel, came from. And just like last week as we looked at Gideon, King Ahab and Jezebel had led the people of Israel astray. They had begun to worship the Baal or Baal and Asher, the same false gods that we saw that were being worshipped last week in Judges as we looked at the life of Gideon. And because of this, God, once again, like last week we studied, He brought judgment upon the people, upon the land. But instead of it being an enemy coming in to occupy uh, His people, He brought a famine 
to dry up the land. And it's about a three years since that famine began. Things are very bad in, in Israel. Uh, you, don't have, you don't have rain. You don't have crops. You don't have food. You can't feed your livestock. It was a terrible, terrible time. You can read it if you want to go back for yourself there in 1 Kings. And just like he did last week in our story about Gideon, God sends a prophet to tell the people what the problem is. Let me tell you something. God still uses men and women of God to communicate to the people of God if you have your ears on what the problem is today. I'm going to tell you, part of the problem today is we're not building altars anymore. Part of the problem today is we're not spending time in the altars anymore. Part of the problem today is we're not putting sacrifices. Look, I came to preach today. If, you're not, if you don't want to amen me, I'm going to amen. I know this is tough medicine, but you don't get better until you take the medicine. Come on, somebody. Whew, I'll tell you what. And so God sends Elijah, and this is what he says in verse 19 of 1 Kings chapter 18. He says this, to the king now. He says, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Whew, fellowshipping with, uh, mm, with the enemy. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping? How long are you going to waver? How long are you going to flip-flop in your opinion? Between two opinions. Listen to what he proclaims. And this is the message today. If the Lord is God, follow Him. If the Lord is God, then follow him. Come on. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. How long will you go between two opinions? This is the message for the church today, my friends. This is a message for this church. This is a message for the capital C church in America, around the world. This is the message that we have to come to grips with today. How long are we going to waver? How long are we going to flip-flop in our beliefs and who we're following, who we're worshiping? How long are we going to live in fear? And how long are we going to dabble in the sin of the world? How long are we going to live without the presence of God? How long are you going to live a powerless life? See, either live for God or live for the devil, but make up your minds. And the people were silent. And I wonder if today if we're going to be as silent as well. So Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a kind of a duel of sorts, not a duel of pistols or with swords, or with spears, or jousting, but a duel. Listen to what he says in verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, so the people have gathered, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, all capital letters. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, finally, wow, this is a great idea. 
Wow, what an idea. We're going to find out today who really is God. And what a faith statement. What a man of God. You think about Elijah. Now, Elijah didn't get here just this day. Now, Elijah had already had altar times with God. We know that Elijah, if you don't know the story, Elijah was running for his life from King Ahab. God had provided for him at, at, at the brook and with, with ravens bringing him food during a time of famine, famine. When that drew up, he sent him to a village where a, a, a lady, a widow there, was about to die in the miracles. We know that he had times with God. And this man of God God stands up and he says, listen, you have to make a decision, either serve God or serve Baal. Today, you're going to know who the real God is. You know, it reminds me a little bit about Joshua at the end of the book of Joshua. He's late in his life and, and the leaders of Israel come to him and they say, hey, look, we want to know something. We came into this land with you and, and, and you're about to go on to be with, with your, your ancestors and we just need to know the truth. And he went back and he recanted. If you obey God, here's the blessings you get. If you disobey God, this is what's going to be in your life. This is the consequences of not following after God. He said, but Joshua said, you choose. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I can't decide what you do, my friends. All I know is for me and my house, with my wife and my kids, we are going to serve the Lord. See, that's a faith statement. That's saying that I'm going to stand for what's right. I'm going to stand up for what is godly. I'm not even got to the good part yet. Mm. So Elijah gives the prophets of Baal first choice of the sacrifice and the opportunity to go first. I mean, let's face it. If their God sends fire. There's no sense really for Elijah to go. But he knows that those gods aren't real. Come on. He's encountered the living God. When you have encountered the living God, how can you go back to worshiping the false gods in this life? How can you go back to living a life of sin, a separation for God? How can you do that, my friend, when you've encountered the life-changing living God in your life? See, he says, you guys go first. You guys go ahead. And so what they do, they chant and they dance and they do all this crazy stuff. They doing all this, woo, right, all this. Yeah, I'm, yeah, that's what they were doing, something like that anyways. I'm not old enough to have been there, but uh, I'm making it up as I go. That was, yes, Lord, that was the anointing of God. So they're dancing, they're chanting, they're doing all this stuff, but no fire. At about noon, it's silent. I mean, it says right there, nothing, nothing, right? But then Elijah the prophet, he, he stands up and he starts mocking. He says, cry louder for your God, what? He must be distracted. Cry a little louder. He, he, must, he must be deaf. Cry a little louder. He must be asleep. He must be on a trip. He must be going to the bathroom. Read it for yourselves. What he said. Relieving himself. You need to dance louder. You need to scream a little louder. To get his attention. Sing it so he can hear you. So what do they do? They cry even louder. They sing a little louder, danced even harder, and they even cut themselves, mutilated themselves, and, and bleeding everywhere. They did all this for the rest of the day. But there was silence. In verse 30, listen. Then Elijah said to all the people, Hey, y'all come near to me. Come here. And all the people came near to him, and he, what did he do? He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. How in the world did they get into the mess that they were in? They allowed the altar to become disarray. disarray. 
they hadn't taken care of their altar. And when we don't take care of our altar, when we don't have that time with the Lord, when we don't spend that quality, intimate time, remember, altars are God's idea. Altars are places where He said, when you build this altar, when you take time to build an altar, make a place with me. to be. I will show up and I'll bless you. I will encounter, you will encounter the living God if you will only rebuild the altar. Only make an altar in your life. See, that's where we have to be. There has to be an altar for the fire of God to come. Whether that is a build, it's building an altar like we see Gideon did last week or rebuilding what Elijah did today, we have to build an altar because without an altar, the fire of God will never fall. Remember, fire represents God's presence. Fire represents His presence and His power. Fire is important. It's power. Unless we build an altar, we don't encounter the power and the presence of God. It will not fall on torn down altars. He requires the altar. 1 Kings 18.31 Elijah took 12 stones. So he's, he's rebuilding the altar. He's taking the stones and that had fallen down. He takes these 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. To whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. Changed Jacob's name to Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar. As great as could contain two sayas of seed. That's quite about a seed, quite a bit of seed. It's a measurement. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. So he rebuilds the altar here. As God designed it to be, the 12 stones, and with, named after the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob. And Elijah put the wood on the fire, and it was cut up wood, it was dead wood, according to the pattern God laid up. And then he, he, he had to kill the bull, and I won't go into details, but he had to slaughter the bull. He had to cut it up into pieces as God had ordained or had directed him to do. And he puts it up on there, and up on the iron. You see, what we have to understand is, not only do we have to rebuild the, the altar for the fire of God to come, but there also has to be a sacrifice on on the altar. See? There's got to be an altar. There's got to be a place. It's, it's, there again, it's not a physical place uh, like these altars. Yes, these are altars. And it's more like what we did a few minutes ago during our worship time. You, I hope you made an altar. In other words, you made a place of I'm stopping. I'm going to quit thinking about today. I'm going to quit worrying about tomorrow. For right now, Lord, I am focusing on you. I am taking. You made a sacrifice today, if I can put it that way, by coming to church today. And you're here and you worship the Lord. And your sacrifice was your time, your attention, and your worship as you humbled your before the Lord you made yourself the living sacrifice today as Paul tells us we need to I hope this is all coming together but unless you make that altar unless you put yourself on it fire will not come because the fire of God doesn't fall on empty altars it doesn't fall on empty altars Psalms 51 17 talking about sacrifices the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart. Uh, oh God, you will not despise. In other words, it's not, that we have to ha it's not that we have to be all broken in spirit in the sense that we're down, we're discouraged. It's more of a brokenness before the Lord. That's what we did earlier. I hope that you, you were broken before the Lord. I hope when you sang that song, Fill Me With New Wine, there's a breaking that has to take place for God can pour His Spirit, that new wine, into your life, into your spirit. 
And of course, I mentioned this, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, your spiritual duty. It's how we worship the Lord. The altar is made for worship. It, 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 and it's our, it is as our sacrifice is given our, our lives completely to the Lord, is what he's saying. And living our lives for his glory. It says there's death to self. You had to say death to yourself today because I could have slept in this morning. Well, no, I couldn't because the Lord woke me up 30 minutes before my alarm went off. He won't let me sleep in. But you could have slept in this morning and said, said no, but you said no. I'm going to say no to my flesh. I'm going to say no to self. I'm going to say no to my will. I'm going to say no, your will be done, Father. I'm getting out of bed this morning. And that's every morning, by the way. I'm going to get up and I'm going to make an altar before you tomorrow morning. And I'm going to be in your word. And I'm going to be reaching you and te- God just reaching out to you and making myself available to you. Because why? I can't live the rest of the day without having an encounter with the living God. And he only comes when there's an altar and there's a sacrifice i could show you in the new testament jesus teaches disciples how to pray it's a daily thing give us our daily it's a daily thing we have to daily say no to our flesh and you have to ask yourself why you don't want to make time for the Lord every day. And I know I'm maybe casting stones. Maybe you are doing it. And I get it. Maybe, there's some folks who have got this. I know that. But on the average, most Christians may spend two or three days a week, and it may be only 10 to 15 minutes a day at the most, in the Word and praying to God. Not praying for needs, but just interacting with the Lord. Oh, when you're in need, you're on your face. And maybe that's why you're in need a lot of times, because God wants to encounter you in His altar. Come on now, I I just got to be obedient to the Spirit of God. That doesn't mean that God brings calamity on you, but maybe God allows some things in your life. So why? So that you see that you need Him, so that you do go to Him, so you do spend time in the altar with Him. And now you are broken because you're desperate for Him to move in your life. You need that every day, my friends. And that don't happen unless you take a time and you lay yourself on the altar as the sacrifice. Where there is death, God brings life. And the altar has always been a place about God bringing life out of death. You give an animal sacrifice in the Old Testament, it makes you righteous with God. It's a a sin provision. And now He brings life to you. You're walking in obedience to you. He's blessed you. You go to the altar of the cross. A place of death, a place of suffering. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Laid himself down on that altar called the cross. And because of that, you can have life eternal because of what he did at that altar. On that altar. And what you do at that altar. Or what I should say, what you do with that altar. Life comes out of death. So Elijah rebuilds the altar. And he repairs the sacrifice, the bull. But there's one other thing that I noticed. There's another sacrifice that many people overlook in this story. That sacrifice was Elijah's sacrifice. Now where it says it's for the people, maybe maybe God received it for the people. But look at verse 33. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. And 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 then he said to them, Excuse me, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. See, so Elijah pours this water, all this water, three times upon the the altar, upon the sacrifice, upon the wood, so much so that it it, it literally drenched the sacrifice and it drenched the wood and, and it went into 
the ditches around the altar. Uh, this is a strange thing. I mean, I want you to picture what he's doing. There's nowhere in Scripture where God said, this is how you do an, a sacrifice to me. Understand that. This is something he felt, I guess you could say, feel led to do. But uh, I have heard different commentators talk about why. Why would you put water on it? And, and of course, I've heard some people say it's because he wanted to make it look like God is more powerful than what he really was. Or, or that he's trying to make the miracle harder. But nothing's impossible. God, Elijah knew that. What is this water about? Well, let me ask you something. What is most precious to people during a drought? He says, bring me some water. This costs somebody some of their water supply. It's three years into this drought at least. And he says, look, you need to go bring some water. We're going to take what is so precious in your life, and it's going to cost you something here. You're going to have to pour this water on the altar. Whatever is precious to you, you've got to put on the altar. See? And as I was praying about this and seeking the Lord, I feel like the Lord said, we as a church, we as believers, we've got to take what is most precious in our life. What is getting our attention? What is distracting us even maybe from, what is, what is taking the place of God as first in our life? And he said, listen, you need to take that and you need to lay it on the altar as a sacrifice unto me. Now hear me, it doesn't mean whatever that is, that thing is evil in itself. It doesn't mean within itself, God doesn't want you to have whatever that thing is. Oh, no, no, no. What God is telling us, we got to take this thing that we so we so love, that we so cherish, that's so valuable to us. Come on, somebody. Because why? That may be what we're putting our faith in. That may be what we're finding our joy in. That may be what's taking most of our resources. Time. He said, lay it on there, and when you do, hear me, he's going to take it, he's going to sanctify it, and he's going to give it back to you, and it's going to be in the right place in your life as he designed it to be. If you read the story, it's not too long, rain comes. But it wasn't until they're willing to make that sacrifice, lay it on the altar and say, God, it's yours. Even though they, they may not want it to, uh, we don't hear the mumbling. We don't hear the conversations. Maybe there weren't any. Maybe at this point they're afraid of Elijah. I don't know, but I can hear, well, I just can't get away. I can't do without my water. You know how hard, you know how much this water's worth? And I could go sell this water on the open market and make a good living. I could retire on this water. And Elijah said, no, 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 no. God's saying, no, 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 no. Take what's precious to you. And see, that's a question you have to ask yourself. You know, I'm not here to pinpoint specific things. Because if I leave anything out, you can say, well, the pastor didn't mention that, so I'm okay. But trust me, we worship a lot of things. There's a lot of things that come first in our lives before God. And that, you have to discern that. You have to ask the Holy Spirit as you make an altar and pray. God, show me what comes before you see it's not just money it's just not building a business it's just not your children or your grandchildren those become idols in our lives don't they well no we have so many brats i'm sorry i mean i'm sorry i love y'all you know that i love your children we have to lay what's precious to us on the altar. God asked Abraham to offer what was most precious to him. What was most precious to Abraham was Isaac, the promise. 
the promised son. Old. He was 100 years old when Isaac came into his life. See, babe, there's still hope. <laughs> Boy, if, if her eyes were raised, it was just burning through me right now. And God says, Isaac, you're more in love with the dream than you are with me. You're so protective of the dream that you're not allowing me to do what I need to do. Like I said to Brandon this morning, don't open the flower, let God open the flower. See, see my heart, hear what the Lord's saying this morning. And so Isaac, Abraham had laid Isaac on the altar to sacrifice him. God didn't allow Abraham to kill him. But at that point, God made, renewed the covenant. Because you showed me I'm more important than your dream. That promise I made you. Because I'm more important. I'm going to bless Isaac. And he is going to be the father, just like you, of many nations. See? Lay it on there. Elijah offered the water, which was dear to them. Most valuable. Represented life to them. And God received it, blessed it, and rain would eventually come. And this is what I've come to understand about people. You only invest in what you care about. You only invest in what you care about. What you pursue is proof of what you really desire in your life. You really want something, you'll spend time in pursuit of it, in other words. You will know the importance of something by the time you're willing to give to it. Now, if you're a tweeter, that's something you can tweet right there, isn't it? As I was continuing to study this, the Lord laid something else on my heart. And I don't want to add to or take away from the Scriptures. You can take both that idea of the sacrifice. I feel like that's of the Lord. And I feel like this is of the Lord. How does that apply to us today? I've shared that with you. But this water also could represent something else. Could it be this water represents tears as well? Tears. I kind of study that, Lord. What do, you, what do you mean by tears? And kind of laid on my heart. Could it be that we are in a spiritual drought because the altars are dry of our tears? Are we, are we struggling in our community? Are we struggling in our world right now because we're no longer weeping in the altars? See, just like Elijah had to dig a trench around the altar, we have to do some work around the altar. I want you to think about that for a minute. Look, it's the Word. I'm not trying to add to it or take it away. I want you to discern. What do you feel? Our younger generation, they've not really experienced that. Why? Because we're not teaching it. Because we're not emulating. Because we're not demonstrating it for them. They're not seeing it. Remember what I said last week in, in Judges chapter 2? There arose a generation that knew not God. Because nobody was passing it on, passing him on, passing on their heritage, the encounters. And I tell you right now, younger generation aren't going to follow God just because you follow God. Mom, dad, grandparents, they have to encounter God for themselves. But they're not going to encounter God if we're not demonstrating the importance of altars in our lives. I mean, our future, obviously we trust the Lord, but in a physical sense, our future is in them. 
Look, I don't want to talk politics, but you want to know why Washington's in the mess it is? Because their generation grew up that knew not God. If you look at all those leaders right now, majority of those leaders, Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter which side of the, the aisle they're on. If you look at what age group they fall in, when they grew up, they grew up in the end of the 50s and the 60s, maybe even a little earlier when, when we were starting to move and become more secularized in our nation. We didn't stop being a Christian nation when, when the previous president was in office. We, we did that 30 years ago, 40 years ago. See? And the only way this nation is going to turn around is we have to, as individuals and collectively as the body of Christ, we've got to start building altars, laying ourselves on the altars, encountering God. And as he changes your life, he's going to change. The, he's going, as he alters your life, he's going to alter those lives around you. Had him dig a trench around the altar. Need to do some work around the altar. There needs to be tears of repentance. Tears shed as we intercede for others. Tears shed over the evil in our nation and the world. And tears shed for the lost. If you want the presence and the power of God in your life, you have to give Him what is important to you. Invest in your relationship with Him and do some work around the altar, including shedding some tears. Well, let me move on. I think I've beaten that nail down to where it's flush. Elijah rebuilt the altar, prepared the sacrifice, called for an investment of the people, and then he prayed. Verse 36, and at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and turn their hearts back to you. This isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to pause. The only way this nation is going to turn around and know that God is real is through your life. As you lay yourself on the altar and sacrifice. Then, when? He prepared the altar. He rebuilt it. He laid the sacrifice on it. Come on. There was a sacrifice by the people when all this, and when he prayed, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Why? When? Altar, sacrifice, the power of God shows up as in demonstration, and it's it was proof, it was evidence that who is real? L-O-R-D, all capital. The creator of all heaven and earth is real. And you know what? That's a great story in the Old Testament. That's a great, when you look at that, what, what a great story. That's an exciting story. But does that happen today? Is that still God's plan today? That's what we have to ask ourselves. I mean, I think you can tell by my preaching that I feel very confident that is. But if you want to see the evidence of it, you want to see the proof of it? Can I, can I take you to the New Testament real quick? I know, I know I've been preaching a long time this morning. I was told by somebody I need to slow down, so I purposely have slowed down. Not my intellect. I can't get any slower, but my speech this morning. But I want to show you something. I'm, these scriptures, one of them are going to be on the board, but the first few scriptures here, you're just going to have to either turn or write these down. First is found in Luke chapter 3, verse 16. This is John the Baptist, and he said, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and 
Fire represents what? Presence. Holy Spirit's presence. There's a witness. Power. Fire's power. Fire's combustible. Fire catches on. It spreads. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. And behold, I'm sending the promise, Jesus says, of my Father upon you, which is found over in Joel chapter 2. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is what he told his disciples. Not just the 12, they were there, but this was all those who were still following. You realize that Jesus started off with just a handful of people. He had a thousand people, but suddenly it went back down to about 120 that we see of. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. And while staying with them, Jesus, after his resurrection, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. When he said, you heard from me, Jesus, quoting Jesus, from jo- for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So they're all distracted about what this is about. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and other at the ends of the earth this is our mission statement that's why we exist our mission is to reach people around the world this is our Jerusalem Bay County is our Judea right United States Samaria the uttermost parts of the world foreign missions that's our mission the vision is different than other churches because it's how we go about it but this isn't he says you need what you need power you got to wait on the power before this could be done before you could be a prophetic voice in your home before you could be a prophetic voice in your in your place of employment before you be a prophetic voice in your community in the nation it begins right here you waiting on the Lord and building an altar and waiting for the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit before you could ever be like Elijah, you have to wait, build that altar, wait on the Lord, put the sacrifice into it. I'm coming. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. You know it. If you're a Pentecostal, you know it. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. What were they doing in that upper room? Come on, church. They were waiting on the Lord, they were praying. I imagine they were kneeling. I imagine they were doing all kinds of things. you got to realize, this didn't happen in one night. They came over and over. They, may, they probably hung out here constantly. We don't have the full picture. All we know, church, is this. They were in that upper room, and they were seeking the Lord. They were praying, waiting upon Him. Remember, the altar is God's idea. When you make an altar... Come on, somebody, and you put your time, you put yourself on that altar, you, you intercede, you seek the Lord. He shows up. They made an altar, placed a sacrifice on it. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire. Come on, Pentecostals. Do we just, do? is it a medal we wear? Is it a trophy? Hi, I'm a Pentecostal here. You want to see my trophies? I spoke in tongues one time. I, I, I am making fun of us because I'm one of us. We wear it around like a, like a, like a, a medal. We're better than the Baptist. We're better than the Methodist. I could keep going down the list. Church of Christ, come on. We'll, I mean, I don't want to discriminate against anybody. The question is, though, is does our lives look any different? than them or anybody that doesn't serve God. It's not, not knocking our brothers, 
sisters in Christ that are part of the denomination. Don't take this the wrong way. This is about you. About me. This is the promise. God said, you built, I can take you back where in the very beginning where I preached two weeks ago, Exodus 20, 34, I believe, or 30, 24, or something there, where he said, you build an altar for me. You build it, see if I don't show up, and I'll bless you. And that doesn't mean material blessings. That means you encounter the living God. Could mean that. Could mean that. But don't go seeking the hand. Seek Him, see. Are, are, you, are, you, are you hearing what the Spirit of God is saying to you today? I, I hope you're grasping this. I, I, I don't mean to get all emotional, loud, exciting for the sake of entertaining you. This is burning within me. Either let's be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ or let's all stay home and not, and, and, and not worry about church and ministries and filling vacancies and ministries or worried about spreading COVID. I'm not against, listen, that's not a knock on anybody. Hear my heart. Either this is real, the Word of God is true in His Word, or it's not. And I thank God is, I think He has our attention, but I, I think we're sinning silent right now because our altars are in disarray. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all, not one or two, not a few, all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They made an altar, placed a sacrifice upon that altar. They shed some tears, and God sent the fire. Church, our world, our country, our community is in disarray. And we've been distracted. We're not focusing on the right thing. We're focusing on the political turmoil. We're focusing on COVID-19. We're focusing on the stimulus relief. We're focusing on job and whether I have a job or don't have a job. God giveth, God, Lord taketh away, Job said, but blessed be the name of the Lord. God's a God that still answers by fire. And He still wants to ignite a fire within His people who are willing to spend the time with Him for Him to light that fire. But we have to be willing to build the altar, spend some time. It's the altar. It's a place of encounter, a place of empowerment. When you make it, the altar will alter you and those around you. Fire of God is powerful and we need it every day, but the fire of God will never fall without an altar and a sacrifice. Amen. Father, I love you and I thank you so much, God, for your anointing and the power of your Holy Spirit today in this service. God, I pray, Lord, today that our spirits are quickened today by your spirit. God, right now, all across this auditorium, Lord, that you have us thinking, Lord, not because I'm some clever speaker, Father, because we know that's not the truth, but because you have spoken today through me as I've humbled myself before you. And Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that hearts start being stirred in this, in this room.
for those who are watching online, God, even in their living room, Lord, wherever they may be, God, that you are stirring their hearts. Ask them, Father, challenge them. Do they really believe you're still the God that you were in the Old Testament you are in the New Testament? Challenge us today, God. Do we really believe it, Father? Are we willing to seek you? Are we willing to rebuild the altar? Are we willing to spend time with you, God? Are we willing, God, to spend that precious time, Lord, that you can empower us, Lord, because the only way this world is going to change, Lord, is your power through your church the way you designed it, God, in the New Testament, and nothing has changed. For the next time you show up, Jesus, and put foot on this world, on this earth, it's going to be a new, your kingdom is going to come to reign physically at that point. You've chosen us, God. And Lord, I pray, God, right now, in the name of Jesus, that every one of us, Lord, right now, are seeking you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Thanks so much for being here online with us today. If today's message touched you and you haven't given your life to Jesus, we believe today is the day. All you have to do is pray. Admit to God that you have sinned. Believe that Jesus died for you. And confess that Jesus is Lord of your life. If you prayed that prayer to God today, please reach out to us and let us know. We have some digital resources that we would love to send your way to help you and for us to be able to connect with you. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure to like and subscribe and share our social media accounts. We believe that church is more than just a building or a Sunday experience. We look forward to connecting with you online and in person. Thanks again for being with us today.